When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with Will Raggetts of Sports Illustrated, as we uh, get together for our usual Thursday session. And this comes on the heels of Will getting owned by Brian Flores. Will, I was just on a uh, radio hit in I in one of the Dakotas, and the hosts played the clip of you asking Brian Flores about Cover Zero, and uh, I also included on yesterday's podcast as well that he was not going to tell you about cover zero, but also I think that after it was almost like he felt bad that in front of many people, he was just like, no, well, I will not tell you about my blitzes. He actually gave a relatively insightful answer. So even though you had to take that punch from Brian Flores, you kind of dusted yourself off, got back up and got us a little bit of insight into his thinking. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't take it so much as like a punch. I know you, you're not saying that either. It was. It was a funny reaction where he's like, "It." it all coaches do this, where like you, you get the boilerplate questions, and then someone asks you like a relatively innocent question about the actual sport, and they're like, "Oh, you want all the secrets, huh?" Like Kevin O'Connell has done that, not to me, but to other people. Like, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by that. But yeah, after afterwards, he didn't give like. He didn't really answer my question, which was like, what's the risk reward of Blitz Zero? And like, what what are the keys to doing it well? And I guess I maybe shouldn't have expected him to answer that. But he talked about like, yeah, that's something he likes to do. He said, I like to give that presentation of Blitz Zero because then there are things I can do off of it. Is it zero? Is it not zero? It confuses the offense. They have to adjust. And those are things you kind of can tell if you watch his, uh, his 2020, 2021 Dolphins teams play at all. But it was cool to hear that from him and we'll see. I mean, I'm just very excited to see what that looks like in terms of the Minnesota Vikings this season. Yes. And I am 100% just giving you a hard time about that because there are dozens of instances where we have asked questions and Mike Zimmer would do it too. Where it's like, I- I'm not telling you guys what we're doing. He's like, okay, sorry, man. Like, uh, and, and Mike Zimmer would do it without then laughing afterwards. Like Flores. Did. Right. <laughs> but but here's what I did think was at least notable is after he said, I'm not telling you the game plan will uh, Kevin O'Connell said something like sort of in the flow of the joking around like, yeah, well, I had a hard time getting that out of him when I was uh, yeah. I- interviewing him as well, um, which was, you know, just sort of a little bit of insight into their conversations about how they want the defense to be. And if there was any big takeaway for me, I don't think it was um, about the zero blitzes of which, like you said, I mean, he said that there are different ways you can show those looks and then drop out. But also he mentioned always being aware of what the trends are. So, you know, maybe we don't see as many blitzes because teams have figured out some stuff against them. And this was like Mike Zimmer in the double A gap where when I first moved to Minnesota in 2016, it was like a double A gap blitz festival. And four or five years later, there were all sorts of different blitzes that he was dialing up, but it wasn't those anymore because teams had adapted some, uh, you know, whatever it is, blocking schemes or options for the quarterback after that. So that is something that you want to hear from Brian Flores about the adaptability and always paying close attention and maybe not just running the same defense every single play and having the other team destroy it. Um, But the big takeaway for me was the Flores O'Connell connection is just going to be huge. Uh, I don't know that there was an O'Connell Donatel connection, but it seems like with these two guys, their age, where they came from with Belichick, 
like their vision for football. I think all of these things matter when you have to rebuild a defense. Oh yeah. I was, I was just thinking that before you even said it, that that was like, if I was, if I'm a Vikings fan, that's what I'm excited about from watching this press conference is just how in sync these two guys seem to be. And O'Connell tried in his first year. I, I like, I understood the process of, all right, let me go get this veteran coach. Who's done it for a long time. He can help kind of my transition and, and be this, this older voice that has experienced all this football and has been a successful defensive coordinator in the past. It just didn't work because Ed, like you hinted to there, didn't really adjust and, and the scheme didn't work and the personnel definitely played a role in it as well. But I think with Flores coming in, I mean, yeah, you just mentioned it. They both, they knew each other back in new England. They both like have been around Bill Belichick Flores for, for much longer than O'Connell and, and Flores actually coaching under Belichick and even, eventually being the pseudo defensive coordinator for that, that team. Um, I just think there, there, there's some cliches that they were using a lot, like our football foundation, our philosophy, all these things are aligned, but there's some truth and value to that, that these guys I think are going to be really, really um, helpful to each other, just in meetings, bouncing stuff off each other, staying ahead of the trends on both sides of the ball. Like, yeah, Flores isn't going to come in and just do everything he did in Miami because that might not be staying ahead of the curve enough. And he's going to have different personnel here. O'Connell's going to have to change some things up from what the Vikings put on tape last year. And Flores is a great guy to kind of bounce those ideas off as well. I mean, those two, I think Wes Phillips will be a crucial part of it. The rest of the staff, like uh, to me, I, as soon as they made the hire, I, I thought it was a fantastic hire. And the press conference yesterday didn't did nothing to uh, change my mind. And it probably made me even more convinced that, that it's a great hire. Yeah, with O'Connell and Ed Donatel, it almost reminded me of Mike Zimmer and Norv Turner and how, you know, Mike Zimmer initially, I think, wanted to just run the defense and be the head coach and let Norv Turner just do whatever he wanted to do on the offensive side. But that never works because the head coach is always going to have opinions. It's his win-loss record that it goes down for. And if he's seeing something repeatedly that he doesn't like, He's the guy that's responsible for making that change. And so it, it almost feels like there was a, I do the offense, you do the defense, Ed, you you know run that Fangio system and everything else from last year. And now it's going to be much more in lockstep with these two guys where um, that would be maybe similar to Mike Zimmer and Pat Shermer, who really saw football a lot of the same ways. Um, Pat Shermer loved to run the bootlegs, the West Coast offense, quicker passes for Case Keenum and the occasional deep shot downfield. Like that was what Mike Zimmer's vision of difficult offenses to play against was. And, you know, I think maybe after last year, Kevin O'Connell probably had thought that the Fangio thing was going to work. But just because you worked for Fangio doesn't mean you're him. And uh, I think that Flores is probably a little more malleable as well. It just seemed like Donatel was really locked into like the system is the system and it does what it does and that's it. And we heard the total opposite from Brian Flores, which was like how aggressive we're going to be really depends on who we have as the players. But that's what it all comes back to for me as far as this being a good hire, which is Brian Flores is a player evaluator from his core of being in the NFL. And that's going to make the biggest difference of whether this thing goes somewhere or not, because I totally believe if they had sauce Gardner and Micah Parsons last year, that they're probably a good defense, but they didn't. So I think that finding those guys is really like same thing with Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was a great defensive mind in, in Dallas, right? But a few years before that in Atlanta, his defenses were horrendous because the players are the ones out there who are going to have to do it. So finding the players that fit their vision, um, that that has always been at the top of my list for why it was a good hire for the Vikings. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, I totally agree. Flores was a scout before he ever got into coaching. He spent, I think, four years in the in the Patriots scouting department. The, the last thing I'll say on the whole just kind of relationship between O'Connell and his defensive coordinator, it seemed like last year, like you're right, that he kind of – handed the defense off to Donatel and then grew frustrated with it. But it took him a while, I think, during the season to actually like really say, all right, no, like here's what we're doing. Like you need to make these changes because I'm watching this as an offensive coach and seeing how easy it would be if this was me playing against you. And I need you to make these changes. And it seemed like that took until 
like the second half of the year when they started to actually blitz a little bit more and, and uh, change up various looks. And it worked a little bit, but it was just a little bit too late. And and the players, obviously, you can't just magically insert better players in week 13. And so we saw what happened in the, in the playoff game against the Giants. I think Flores having kind of the Belichick background, then having done his own thing in Miami and figured out like while going through being a head coach, which I think is important, but figuring out what he wanted his defense to look like. And then I think even last year is beneficial having a year uh, working closely with Mike Tomlin, who's one of the best defensive coaches of this uh, century. Like I think he's got all the variety of background, the scouting stuff helps um, just that it, it seems to me like it's going to be a really good pairing, but here's the first task. They got to get the players in there who can maximize the Flores scheme. And, and that's what he said is like, we're going to do what our players do best. We're going to have, we're going to be aggressive, but there's going to be a method to it. It's going to be depending on down a distance field goal position, field position um, and, and things like that. They got to get the players in here who are versatile. He, one thing he talked about is he likes guys who can play multiple spots and have, have that. I, I don't know. There's probably some guys on the Vikings who can do that, but you'd like to bring some more in who have some versatility and just get the players in so that you don't have to have any, any like, year one slow build you you want to just be able to have Flores's defense cooking right away this season and trying to think of any players who play multiple positions other than like Zadarius Smith who moves around uh probably not uh so let's play a little game Cam Bynum used to be a corner I guess (laughs) yeah you do have that uh Josh Metellus was the emergency nickel corner does that count um no, it does not. No, not so let's really. uh, let's play a little game, though, with Brian Flores, though. Now that he is officially the defensive coordinator, uh, we're going to call it What's It Mean to That Guy? Um, do you want to try to sing a jingle uh, for What's It Mean to That Guy? Um, I think that would be a bad idea. That okay, would be like not, Brian Flores trying to show us his his gritty. You're not a, um, you're not a musical guy, right? Like, that's not your thing? No, nah, I mean, I like music. I, I just, I consume it. I don't produce it although i used to play violin in like middle school i was decent oh really you're decent okay that's a that's a hard instrument so maybe you could maybe you could write a jingle for this but i'll i'll give it a try what's it mean to that guy how about that that works that was good that's like an old like 1970s like commercial jingle i like it I'm a professional. Uh, so, but what's it mean to that guy? We kind of already talked about like Kevin O'Connell and what this relationship means to that guy. But how about Kwesi Adafalmensa, who was not at the press conference, but is a major part of this. Um, now it's almost like a, what did they used to call it? Like a triangle of power or something that they used to have. Uh, the triangle almost, of authority. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that. It's almost a little bit of a triangle of authority when you bring in someone who has the head coaching experience that Brian Flores does uh, and as far as reshaping this defense. And I think that Flores's impact can go beyond that because of his head coaching experience. But uh, does this mean that Kwesi Adafo Mensa's plan is going to have to be to just do what Brian Flores wants on the defense? Is it do what's right for the salary cap? Like how does bringing in somebody who I think wants to turn around the defense pretty fast and Brian Flores impact Kwesi Adafo Mensa. What does it mean to that guy? Uh, I love it. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's going to be a hierarchy and it's always been kind of in terms of roster decisions. Kwesi is at the top. Kevin's not that far behind. And there's other people in the front office, obviously, but I think Brian Flores slots in, not that far behind Kevin O'Connell, especially, I mean, specifically with when it comes to the acquisition or the release or the whatever of defensive players, because he's the guy who's going to be coaching them. He's a guy who has a scouting background, has a head coach background, knows defense at a really, really high level, knows what he needs and wants to make this thing work. But at the same time, if you're Kwesi, you're not just like, all right, give me a shopping list. I'll go get them. Like you have your own concerns. Brian Flores is not going to be, diving deep into the weeds of the salary cap because that's not his job. So Kwesi and Rob Brzezinski and everybody else on that end have to have that be a key consideration. And I mean, that's, that's their job is to kind of have one foot in putting the best defense that they possibly can on the field in 2023 and also have one foot in not screwing yourself for the future in 2024 and beyond. Like, yeah, it would be great to 
maybe keep some of these veterans and, and push money into the future, but you, you can't do that with some of these guys. So it's going to be kind of a balance where there's going to be a ton of collaboration. That's the huge word that we heard all last year with, with Quasi and Kevin. I think Flores fits right into that with the collaboration, but it, it's a give and take. Like he's, he's going to have a lot of input, but he's not going to have the final say on things. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. That is one thing I do wonder about when there is a disagreement, because uh, of course last year it was a lot of, well, you know what? All of us are just going to get around that campfire and we're going to have s'mores and we're just going to all agree on everything in football. And uh, I don't know that it worked out that way, considering they had to fire their defensive coordinator. But uh, with Flores, though, I mean, he, he I, I think that he's got to wield a lot of power here to get him here. That when <laughs> this is one of the things like I, I credit Brian Flores. This guy has clearly been a head coach. He knows how to answer the questions in a way that sort of gives you a little bit, but isn't really the whole thing. I mean, he's here because they probably gave him a lot of money and a decent amount of power, right? If you're going to pull out of the Arizona situation, pull out of even interviewing for Denver to come here, it's likely because they ponied up. I I don't know that a hundred percent sure, just kind of connecting some little dots here. Why would you just decide this is your place? But also I wonder about the power element as well. If it's, we're going to let you do this the way you think is right. And Kwesi Adafo Mensa is going to find you the players. This is one thing that we don't know. And we're going to have to try to figure out as we go through the years, but because we don't have a big enough sample to just like connect dots and nobody's telling us this. And I remember it was a question in the press conferences early on, like, so who actually makes the calls here? Is it going to be Brian Flores saying, get me this, 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 and this. And Kwesi Adafo Mensa says, okay, get everybody together. We'll find you this, 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 or is it Kwesi Adafo Mensa saying, this is what you're going to get. Now you figure out how to coach them. And that's two very different philosophies. And both of those exist in the NFL. Yeah. I I do think it's, it's doable to have a balance between the two where like you, you, they can go hand in hand where Brian Flores can say, Hey, like, I like that cornerback. I, I used to coach him in, in, in Pittsburgh or in New England or wherever. Like he's pretty good. And then Quasey can say, all right, it's doable or it's not doable. And like, they're not going to necessarily go crazy and outbid some other team just because Brian Flores wants that guy, but maybe they'll make a competitive offer and, and try to get him in. And then if not, they'll go, all right, who do you see as like a, a, a slightly worse or, or a, an adequate replacement for that guy? And who's a little cheaper. We'll go get him. Like, I think there can be a good balance there. Brian Flores and, and Kwesi Adafimensa don't have any sort of prior relationship that I know of, but um, they strike me as two guys who will be able to figure out that balance and, and get along. And yeah, I don't know who I don't know who ends up making the final decision if there's a kind of heated disagreement. And we don't know how much that happened last year. I think it was asked, and Kwesi was like, "Hey, that's a good thing to have. We'll just we'll get all these different information sources and gather them, and we'll come to the best." possible collective decision and yeah it sounds good it's not always that easy I'm sure especially like draft night and and free agency decisions and and all these different things so uh it definitely adds a new piece that I imagine wasn't there I don't think Ed Donatel was coming in last year and being like all right I want I want this guy like I don't I don't think there was much of that I think Brian Flores is going to have more leeway to do that another thing I'll say for for Kwesi is I don't know if hiring a defensive coordinator can or should like be a a total mindset shift to your overall approach. But it seems to me if there was any chance that the Vikings were considering doing the rebuilding thing, which we've had to discuss as, as a potential option for a lot of off seasons. Now, if they were considering that, don't you think they'd hire like some young up and coming defensive coordinator that could be there for a while. There's a very real chance that Brian Flores is here for one year and then he's a head coach somewhere next year because he is very qualified to do that. He's interviewed for head coach jobs the last two off seasons. So this, this strikes me as, Hey, we're, we're, we're going for it again. We loved our offense last year. It was our defense that let us down. Let's get our defense up to league average or better with this awesome defensive coordinator. Let's get him some, some win now pieces and, and let's go do this thing. Let's go win the North again. Aaron Rodgers, who knows where he's going to be. The Detroit lions are still the Detroit lions until proven otherwise. So, 
to me, it, that this might sh- signal if this wasn't already their plan that, hey, we're we're doing this thing again. We're not we're not rebuilding here. Folks, I'm dealing with that lull that we all have when the holidays are over and football season ends. So I decided to try something new. It's called AG1 by Athletic Greens. Well, I'm not the type to start taking pills or weird infomercial stuff. So I wanted to try something simple to get my health going in the right direction and give a boost of energy for all those off-season articles and podcasts that are on the way. AG1 covers all the nutritional needs that I have with 75 high quality ingredients in just a single scoop mixed with water in the morning every day. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com insider. That is athleticgreens.com insider. Check it out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I definitely wondered about that myself. So, but let me give you a, a situation where this could be a conflict. Daniil Hunter. Like, let, let's say, just for example, and I don't know any, this is not like reporting or anything. It's just uh, for example. They go to Daniil Hunter and they're like, we want to sign you to an extension for $17 million a year for the next five years. And Daniil Hunter says, you know what? I think I can probably get about 25 if I get 10 more sacks next year. So I'm going to say no. And then they say, all right, well, uh, now I guess we have the option to trade you because that's what you do when a player is not going to sign an extension and they're in the final year of their contract. And Daniil Hunter might be able to get you a late first round pick or a second round draft pick. Um, considering the season that he just had. If you're Brian Flores, you do not want to be sans Daniil Hunter. Also, you want to get a head coaching job next year, which it's going to help you to have Daniil Hunter to get that head coaching job. But if you're Kwesi Adafo Mensa, it's GMing 101. If a guy's not going to sign an extension, you need to get draft capital back because if you lose him and then you get a compensatory pick that's going to be a third or a fourth rounder or something, Like that's not anywhere close to what you would have gotten for just trading him away. Plus you could really use that draft capital. Now who wins out in that situation is what I want to know. And I actually think that that situation, if they don't extend him, will kind of tell us like who wins out because it's so obvious what both parties would want in that spot. That is a a great example that you just cooked up. I I like it because it's a very real thing that we could see soon. That would, that would be evidence. I think it has to be the GM who wins out in that, in that situation. It can't like just because Brian Flores has this real possibility of being a rental and being here for one year. And yes, it would help his, his case as his defensive numbers, if he has Daniel Hunter, but you can't, I mean, the Vikings are, are far enough clearly from Super Bowl contention that they can't just be thinking, about this year it has to be the I, I don't know if the term competitive rebuild is the best one but it has to be the the thinking about today and thinking about tomorrow living in in what is it both both time horizons or something Quasi says like they have to be considering that so in that situation yeah you'd love to have Daniel Hunter here and you hope if you're both parties you hope it doesn't come to that and you hope Daniel Hunter is a still a great football player who unlike some of these other defensive players is not washed at all. He is still very good when he's healthy. You hope it doesn't come to that, but if it does, Quasey has to win out and he has to say, call teams and he can get a first round pick for Daniel Hunter. If, if, if the alternative is letting him walk next year, then, then you got to do it, I think. And, and you know what, you figure it out from there and, and you, you go, all right, we have Zadarius Smith. We'll, we'll try to figure some stuff out. Maybe, maybe we get, some young guys to step up. Maybe we bring in a, a, a free agent who can be 65% of Daniel Hunter. Maybe we draft a guy like you just have to adjust, but that has to be, that has to be Kwesi winning out in, in that kind of uh, situation. 
I would think so too, but I am interested to find out because I think that that oh, will be one that really tells us. Uh, and even even if they sign him to a five-year extension where he's getting $20 million a year, to me that is completely anti-rebuild. And until they do anything that says rebuild, in my mind, this team is just trying to win. They're just trying to compete. You traded a second round pick for TJ Hawkinson. That's not very competitive rebuildy. And we supported that at the time and still think it's a great trade that they made. But I'm just saying that we've seen really no evidence. And Quasi Adafo Mensa did not want to go away from the competitive rebuild idea when we kind of circled back to it at the end of the year. It's like, hey, you still competitive rebuilding, my guy? And it was like, no, we are but I haven't seen any evidence of it. And uh, how Flores fits into all that will be interesting to see the moves in relation um, to his hire. Because I, I would guess, if I had to guess right now with him here, that the answer is going to be draft a defensive player, sign defensive players, and try to move on from the guys that don't work for his defense and add guys that do, which leads me to the next what does it mean for that guy? Was that the game? What does it mean? I've already forgotten. Yeah, yeah, no, that was it. That was it. Okay, what does it mean? Uh, but uh, how about Eric Hendricks? I, I think he's at really the center of this conversation as well, considering one year left on his contract, fairly expensive for a linebacker of his age. Yeah, I think the whole linebacker kind of puzzle has to be considered when you're talking about Eric Hendricks. Because my thought has been this whole time that they bring back one of the two Kendricks and Hicks. I think Brian Asamoa is absolutely a starter. Like you don't, you don't hand anybody jobs in the NFL. They have to, they have to earn it to some extent, but with just the flashes we saw from Brian Asamoa, the draft capital, I mean, he was a, a top 70 draft pick, just the, the raw like athleticism. If he can get on the right page, he's going to be such a, a perfect I think fit for this Brian Flores defense because he can come up to the line and act like he's blitzing and then he can drop back into coverage or he can drop blitz at the last second and, and he can do all these, he can cover tight ends and running backs in man coverage and, and, and do all these things that you need your linebackers to do. He has that speed element that both Eric Hendricks and Jordan Hicks were kind of lacking last year. So, I mean, it's possible that both of those guys could be gone and they have two brand new linebackers. The Kendricks thing he has, he's a little more expensive like Hicks isn't quite on the same level of contract, but there's a reason for that because Kendricks has shown a higher ceiling in the past than Hicks. He was an all pro not that long ago. And you wonder like, did he fall off because he totally lost a step last year or was he just really unsure of his decisions in Ed Donatello's defense? I don't know the answer. I think best bet is it was a combination of the two. Um, but to me, I think there's a chance that, that this Brian Flores hire isn't great news for Eric Kendricks. I, and I, I don't, I don't know because he has had success in the past with like the Zimmer double a gap stuff, but that was also a, a, a younger version of Eric Kendricks. Does this current, what is he? 30, 31. Does, does this version of Eric Kendricks fit what Brian Flores wants to do? That's a perfect example of what probably they're doing right now. Brian Flores watching tape on this defense and thinking, is, is that guy going to fit into how I envision this playing out for my defense that, that those questions are going to be had with every player on the roster, but they're going to be especially important with the guys who have the cap hits and, and the, the decisions on Quasi's side. Cause maybe Quasi's going to want to hear from Flores. What do you, what do you think? That's not going to be what, what are we doing with this guy? It's going to be, what do you think? And then that will just be one of the information sources that Quasi uses to make his Bayesian decision. Like, I don't, I don't know if I use that word right. I just wanted to throw it in there because he uses it sometimes. But you, you get what I'm saying. Like, there's going to be that back and forth. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what it means for Eric Hendricks, but I would lean towards it's not good. Yeah, Eric Hendricks is a fascinating one here because he is also under that category, put it under the Chad Greenway, Kyle Rudolph, like players who are phenomenal in the community and that may not matter to you, but I know who it does matter to, and that would be the Wilfs, that players who have been a big part of the community matter to them, and players that they really love as people and human beings really matter to them. And that's nice. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, criticize someone for saying, yes, Eric Hendricks was the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award nominee for last year, 
and has been incredible to the Twin Cities for a guy who's from, you know, Fresno, California or whatever, uh, and went to UCLA and yet he's adopted this community and made it his. So that does matter to the you know equation here that they might say we want him to still be here and even give him an extension. There's also a, a, an interesting stat that, I mean, sort of stuck out to me a little bit when we talk about Kendrick slowing down, which is his run defense grade was actually very good this year. And that doesn't really matter in the big picture of stopping other teams because usually that's all about the pass game. But I do wonder if when Brian Flores is watching the tape back, if he sees some burst from Kendrick stopping the run from side to side where we kind of, when there's a bad run play for the other team, we just kind of like eat another donut in the press box and wait for them to pass. Right. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying I never watched them, but it's just like, I'm not sure what happened there. You, you know, fat guys. It's hard, it's hard to tell from to- our, our vantage point and let's tell you watch the actual like end zone angle. Yeah. Like what happened? Right. I mean, if you would ask me, did Eric Hendricks have an okay year with against the run or a great year? I would have said like, I don't know. Like it's hard to tell, but uh, the, you know, the PFF, when they watch it back and grade it, they graded it extremely well, but that's what Brian Flores might look closely at in terms of, does he still have some burst in his game? And I think that the way that he played was just so far off and separated from how he's ever had to play before that it wouldn't have really even told us that like people have said to me like, Oh, Kendricks looks slow now, but I don't even know what plays he was supposed to be looking fast in coverage because he was just dropping back into these deep zones. I could see a world where a former linebackers coach says, that's my guy. Like that's a guy that I absolutely want to keep no matter what. That's that, that is a good point. I do. That is definitely a possibility because I mean, if you look back a couple of years at the Kendricks tape, and if you're if you're saying I'm getting 2019, 2020 Eric Kendricks, there's no defensive coordinator and especially not a former linebackers coach who would be like, no, thank you. They would be all over that because when he I mean, just a few years ago, he was one of the not one of if not the best pass coverage linebackers in the NFL. Like he's carrying Devonte Adams 30 yards down the seam and looking like every bit or almost as much as, as like Fred Warner has looked this past year, which is just kind of the perfect modern prototype linebacker. So if the, you make the decision that, or, or come to the conclusion that he just didn't fit very well in the Donatel defense, and maybe the Donatel defense wasn't doing anybody any, any real favors, except for like Patrick Peterson, uh, then, then, then maybe you, you, you say, let's bring him back and let's, let's, let's run with him in this defense and, and, have him use his experience and his ability to um, be sort of a, almost a Harrison Smith type player where he can disguise things and, and, and just do a variety of things at a high level, like, and, and including play downhill and defend the run. Um, Yeah. And I think another thing, if, if you move on from Jordan Hicks and you go Kendricks and Asamoah, I think Asamoah could learn a lot from Eric Kendricks as like, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be you. I'm trying to be the 2019 version of you. And, and let me, let me pick your brain and learn all these different things, which I'm sure was already going on last year in his rookie season. But yeah, Kendricks is a fascinating one. Like I can, I'm sure we'll get to a few more. I can like, you say certain guys and I'm like, this is good or this is not so good with Kendricks. It's, I can kind of talk myself into it either way. Yeah, I think, and there's a few that we could probably just agree on. Like, it's good for Harrison Smith, assuming yeah. that he's going to be here. There's no question about that. Uh, I would say it's good for Lewis Seen. This is a guy who was a safeties coach and who's a downhill player that, you know, I, um, will line up in the box for a defensive coordinator that lines up people in the box all the time. Good for both of those guys. How about this one? What does it mean for that guy? Any corner. Any corner. We also do we agree Patrick Peterson just probably can't fit in this system. Yeah, that. So when I say there's a few that jump out at me, you just hit on two of them: Harrison Smith and Lewis Seen. It strikes me as good. Harrison Smith, especially, is is like a pretty clear cut one where he was just not used correctly. He was not used to the best of his value last year when you're just having him be a moon ball, forty yard deep too high deep safety like that's just not utilizing him to the best of his abilities he still he picked off like five passes like he did it well but you want him to be this super versatile guy who comes up 
into the box and, and disguises things and is moving all over the place and communicating thing like, yes. Yeah, so that is good for Harrison Smith. We agree on that. Bad for Patrick Peterson. I think we, we, uh, we also agree on that because like I just kind of mentioned the Donatello scheme, he, he should, he should go somewhere where he can play in a Fangio scheme again, because that just made him look like one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Like, and not to say that that like elevated his skills in some gimmicky way. Like he legitimately was a great cornerback. He's perfectly suited for that system where he is watching the ball the whole time. He's not turning and running in man coverage and having to then find the ball. Like he's able to use his hall of fame, all world level instincts and intelligence to track the ball and, and go make plays. And so I just, if, if you, if you're given the Brian Flores, the 2016 version of Patrick Peterson, then absolutely he could press and, and run with the best of them. But the current version of Patrick Peterson, I think, he will understand and Brian Flores will understand that the fit just probably isn't there. Does that mean it's impossible that he's back? No, but I just, it strikes me as unlikely. I think you look at the other cornerbacks. This is great news. If you're Andrew Booth and a Caleb Evans, I think you, you have a guy who's used to coach DBs. I mean, he was, he was a safeties coach, but he is going uh, an experienced defensive coordinator. seen a lot of things, coached a lot of great cornerbacks in new England, uh, in Miami with like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, like, if those two guys can stay healthy, this is great news for them, but you can't count on that if you're the Vikings. So you're going to have to go bring some guys in who are going to be your probable starters or who are going to at least compete with those young guys for the starting jobs. I don't, I don't know what it means for like a Duke Shelley. I think he could probably fit in this system, but do you, do you buy into that whole like eight game sample size where he looked really good and became this cult hero among Vikings fans? Is that, is that enough for you to be like, all right, this is, a, this is a starting cornerback for us? I just think there's so many cornerbacks out there that that is going to be a position that they aggressively pursue. And I think Flores and Quasi and Kevin are all going to be in agreement on that, that let's go, let's go get a corner or two in free agency and let's maybe even still draft one in the first round after that because you can never have too many corners and I have no idea if Booth and Evans are going to be healthy. I was just going to say, uh, a great defensive mind once said, you can never have too many corners, and uh, that is completely true, and the Vikings have drafted like it in recent years, but it's interesting that you didn't mention one guy in particular that I think this would work for, but the organization might just be kind of done with, which is Cam Dantzler, and mm -hmm. he battled injuries last year. Early on, he kind of looked good, and we all did the like, oh, Cam Dantzler, and then uh, no, 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 it just went completely sideways. And I remember this is just a lesson for people too, that when you look up some numbers and things like that, you got to know how much it really is telling you and how much it isn't. So sometimes you'll see people put out there like, Oh man, last year, Cam Dantzler, when he was targeted, he only allowed whatever corners are very small sample in a single year. It's just really hard to be reliable. Also, just a just a nitpick on those numbers. I mean, Dantzler was responsible for a touchdown against Detroit that lost them a game that got blamed on Xavier Woods by PFF, and I just like I don't think so. But anyway, the the, the point is just that those corner numbers are tricky. They are not always predictive. So you could say, well, last year this was an amazing stat that Duke Shelley had this small sample size, whatever, but that doesn't mean he's just going to keep doing that. I don't think it's like receiver where if you get a 90 grade as a receiver for a season, that means you're probably going to keep doing that year after year. So just, just like an FYI for if you're looking up those stats in the future, don't always put too much into it. But I do think that Cam Dantzler is a man-to-man -man corner and a man-to-man -man corner only always in forever. He is not a good fit for having to make a bunch of different you know, checks or reads or route combinations or anything like that. I think he's a dude you just line up and go. So there could be this kind of like by committee or just bring Duke Shelley back. Maybe he's a nickel guy or something and sign like three and draft one and just have this huge Mongo competition for who fits best in Brian Flores' defense. That sounds sounds entertaining to me. We will we'll cover all of it in training camp, and that'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, I think I think it's a good way to go. Like you, you don't necessarily just come in with our here's going to be our three starters, going to be our our backups. Like you get a bunch of dudes. Obviously, if they go out and sign like a marquee free agent, like a Jamel Dean or like 
even like Cameron Sutton, who uh, Flores coached with the Steelers last year, or like Jonathan Jones, who he coached with the Patriots. Like if they go out and sign somebody like that, they're probably starting. If you, you give them seven, eight million, they're probably starting. But bring in some other guys too. bring in a draft pick and just have all these guys competing. And usually, I mean, football coaches always say in, in, in everything, not just football, like the cream will rise to the top and then the competition will ideally make everybody else, make everybody better. So I think that's a good idea. Dancer, I, you're right. I, I kind of even forgot about him a little bit. Like, obviously I know he exists, but second half of the season, he wasn't starting. He's, he's an intriguing guy because over the last three years, there's been times where I'm like, yeah, this dude's a stud. Like he's, he's going to be a starting cornerback in the NFL for 10 years. And then there's times where I'm like, he might be out of football in three years because he's just making all these bizarre mistakes. And it's, it, it's, it's weird. It, it fluctuates, but I think he's, kind of a, a forgotten man who is somebody to keep an eye on as he goes into the last year of his rookie contract. There's, there's still upside there. And this it's possible that this defense will be the fit for him. And maybe Brian Flores will be the coach for him that kind of gets it out of him and, and gets a, a consistent season out of him. And Hey, everybody, uh, everybody performs, seems to perform better in contract years sometimes. So uh, yeah, maybe, Maybe Cam- maybe it'll be Cameron Dantzler bounce back season in 2023. I'd be I'd be here for it. It could be someone, probably both of us, is writing that potentially in training camp. Will this be the season for Dantzler? He says yes. Uh, but you know, another but he's not gonna be he's not gonna be handed any sort of right start. He's gonna have to ball out to earn his way onto the field uh, because Flores doesn't really know him. Quasi Dolphamensa didn't draft him. Like he's gonna have to beat out some guys to 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 make that happen. Right. And two coaching staffs got frustrated with him, which is another one of those, hey, just FYI to keep in the back of your mind when we blame the previous coach for why somebody didn't work out, unless it's really blatant, like with Harrison Smith, where we know he's great and wasn't used correctly. Um, just beware, just beware of those storylines. Cause a lot of times blaming the last guy, the last coach isn't really what was going on. It's usually just the player. Uh, okay. Last one. What does it mean for that guy? What does Brian Flores being here mean for Brian Flores? Mm. Getting, getting a little, a little, little meta, meta there. I, little yeah, yeah. I like it. Next slide. Um, I think it has a, there's a, I think it's a, there's a good chance it's, it's the right spot for him. I mean, I think you trust your gut. He said it was a gut feeling to come here and, and essentially to turn down the Arizona job. Not that he was offered it, but to, to drop out of being a finalist and, and not take a second interview there where who knows? I mean, Jonathan Gannon was just in the Super Bowl, but I'd probably take Brian Flores over Jonathan Gannon as my head coach, knowing the little that I know as, a, as an outsider. Like I think, um, there's a chance he could have ended up with that job, but that would have meant like going to an organization that's kind of in a lot of turmoil and has real questions about if Kyler Murray's the guy and uh, there's lacking talent elsewhere. So I think there's a good chance that he made a good decision by coming to work with Kevin O'Connell. And this, I mean, he's never act, technically been a defensive coordinator before he went from like, he was a pseudo defensive coordinator with the Patriots, but then, he went straight into being a head coach and then was kind of a, a defensive assistant linebackers coach last year. He gets to run his own defense again. He gets to have the opportunity to prove it. And it'll be really impressive if he does this right away in 2023, which he might be able to, if he can prove that I am so good at coaching defense that I helped. I mean, I helped make the Patriots into what they were. That's always going to be kind of conflated with, was it Flores? Was it Belichick? But I mean, he called plays in that Super Bowl where they, where they held the Rams to three points. He did it in Miami. If he comes here and does it again, then it's like, all right, it's more than just players. This guy can really coach defense and knows how to stay ahead of the trends and, and, and just, I mean, fool and confuse and stymie offenses with various different schemes and tricks and disguises and all these different things. And if he does that and he, and he turns around this Vikings defense, which, by the way, like regardless of what the personnel changes are going to be, they're not going to be so massive that that's going to be what's credited. If this Vikings defense turns around, he's coming in with a low bar to work with in terms of points allowed yards allowed, all these things, DVOA. If he turns that around and gets them 
to at least around the middle of the pack or maybe even better, he's, he's going to be a hot head coach candidate next year, I think. And so I, I think that kind of that element makes this a good spot for him. And I just think there's, uh, you can, you can have questions about, is there the talent here for him to even do that? But Hey, maybe that, maybe that makes it even more impressive. So, I, and maybe if it doesn't work right away, then he can say, well, I don't, I didn't really have the talent. He stays for one more year and then he has another chance to boost his stock up again. So to me, it seems like a good fit. I, it's always going to be interesting when you turn down a potential head coach job, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I, th- I think, I think it was a smart decision by him. I think it's a good decision by him too. And he really should have, at least in the organization's mind, unless it's like a Donatel situation where the guy, and the, I don't see this happening where the guy's like borderline insubordinate. I mean, I, I think that, um, you, and I just mean by like Kevin O'Connell was even in press conferences sort of begging for certain things and they never happened. So like, I don't think that's going to happen here. Judging on a lot of different factors, and especially that, you know, I was just seeing a a graphic today about Jalen Phillips in Miami and how Jalen Phillips took this huge jump to be an elite pass rusher this year. Uh, Usually, and Christian Wilkins was like this too, usually these guys that you draft, they take a year before they can make a huge impact. And I think it should be in Brian Flores' mind kind of a two-year thing. Like, all right, this year, I want to show that it's a better, smarter defense that's aggressive in the blitzing way and uh, can fool quarterbacks and things like that. But I just don't know that it's going to be a turnaround to the level that would put you on the map. He's His name's always going to come up because he had success as a head coach. And when you do that, you're going to get interviews just by that. So if it's even incrementally better, he'll be in the conversation. But I think in his mind, it should be, Like you show up to a complete mess Mm -hmm. and you start to just put the pieces back together. And then a year from now, that's when it looks like a, you know, a a really good situation again. So that that's how I think it should play out, but I I don't know what's in his mind about this. Well, and that's what he did in Miami. It's it's, that's a great point. Like he showed up to a team that did not have a lot of talent. And in 2019, his first year, they were really bad. They were one of the worst defenses in the league. And then I'm sure he was planting the seeds of, of what it was going to become. And then in 2020, they were awesome. Like they just made this massive jump because maybe they got some new pieces in. I would have to, I would have to look in detail that, but I, I, I imagine it was just guys like Christian Wilkins taking that jump and, and like everybody on the defense having a full year of, of learning it. And then here we go. And in 2020, they led the league in takeaways and they were fifth in scoring defense and they were unbelievable. So um, yeah, that's a good point. Like if, if this defense becomes like a top 10 unit next year, Flores is a miracle worker. That seems unlikely to me. So maybe he would be viewing it as kind of a two year thing or All maybe right. not. We'll see. Uh, la- last question for you, Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anybody who listens to my other weekly podcast, the hot routes podcast, where we just do hot routes, like every show once a week would know that one of my questions for this week with hot routes was with Aaron Rodgers doing his darkness retreat. Let's say that you had a decision you had to make. that was really important in your life. Like, do I shave my beard or something? Uh, (laughs) If you were going to make that decision that you needed a couple of days to really reflect, Mm -hmm. what would your ideal retreat be for me? I said a video game retreat or a pizza retreat where basically just go eat pizza and wings every single day and, and think, or just play old video games for four straight days. Nothing else. Don't do anything. Just play old Maddens. Uh, I got the dreamcast out right now. So like, do you even know what a dreamcast is? No. I I mean, I've heard that word, but I couldn't describe it to you. Well, it is what it is, but uh, it's from like 2000. And the point just being that that would, that would be my personal retreat. What would yours be? But aren't you not, not to, pick nits at your retreat but if you're playing video games aren't you like locked in on the video game and thus not really thinking about this decision you have to make no i think it really clears the mind like, okay, really right. clear, I like it. you know right like are are you really so locked into nfl 2k2 where i've taken the cleveland browns and signed a bunch of old players on the game like troy aikman and andre reed are you really are you really so locked into that that you can't like i think what it is is just this 
relaxed experience. Cause I wouldn't want to be in the dark, terrified. It doesn't really make any sense. I yeah. would prefer to be comfortable and, yeah. you know, maybe you're playing some music and again, pizza can be involved here. Like you're just having this complete, like shutting out the outside world and, and being alone with your thoughts type of thing. Or if I was Rogers, I could just put myself on a team on Madden and play it out, see how it works. Mm. And then like best Ooh. team wins. But anyway, uh, your retreat. I think it would be something like not, not entirely dissimilar, but without maybe the video games, I would just go to like some, some cabin and maybe try to do some outdoorsy stuff. Like if it's in the summer, maybe I go kayak around and, and just, immerse myself in nature and listen to the birds and the trees and and try to do a decision that or if i was doing it right now maybe i'd go like on a ski trip by myself and just like ski down the hills and and think about things while i'm skiing and while i'm on the chairlift and and i've gone skiing like three times this winter which is unusual for me super fun uh so maybe that's what i would do some something where it's just me my thoughts maybe some music maybe probably some pizza probably some pizza Hmm. probably some ice cream uh and yeah just uh just think let's get your but, mind right uh like you you're going like the henry david thoreau route there yeah i think yeah i think so maybe i'd even make myself read a book which i don't do enough mm. but there's some great the beard, the beard isn't going anywhere and i don't i don't know where aaron Rodgers is going i mean maybe to the, maybe to the jets a football book retreat it's not Ooh. a bad idea just study ball yeah. Yeah. Not even study, but just like read football stories. So okay. one book that I read, uh, I think it was maybe two off seasons ago. Cause I always try to get one or two that I read in an off season, just, uh, always football stuff, but like, uh, is Bruce Arians book about all of the quarterbacks that he coached. I mean, he coached Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, Carson Palmer. And, and he wrote like chapters about coaching those guys and what they were like. It was very interesting. So maybe there's some there's some insight into that one because I thought I learned a ton about quarterbacks just from that. So yeah, I mean you could have like a book retreat or something, football book retreat. Um, but yeah, I guess that really says something about us that we are not interesting enough at all. We're just like I don't know. I just do stuff I like. <laughs> I'm not going into a to a darkness retreat. I would go insane. I do not have the attention span or just mental capacity to do that but good for good for anyone who does i guess i go into a darkest retreat for about seven hours every night (laughs) and then i leave it's called going to sleep so anyway uh best of luck to him and his decision uh but uh, i think those are great choices will connect your soul with nature anyway so uh speaking of connecting we'll connect uh again soon i I don't know the the off-season timing is going to be a little wonky but you'll be around and I appreciate your breakdown, and um, we will talk again soon, man. Thanks for this. I will. I will be in the uh, in the Bahamas next week doing some some soul retreat. searching. I didn't yeah. know you were doing a retreat. No. Well, yeah, I'm going with my family, but I will oh. be I will be laying on the beach, sipping on a margarita, and I will be thinking about what does it mean for that guy. <laughs>